0: Now, in this period of time, which we Christians often call Lent, it's 40 days leading up to Easter, and it's a time where we remember particularly the last point that we're going to be having a look at in this passage today. So I hope you have Mark open in front of you. Mark, chapter 1, you'll find that Jesus is in the desert. He spends 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness, And in the 40 days leading up to Easter, we remember something about this passage. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made out of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. "'After me will come one more powerful than I, "'the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. "'I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit.' At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit demanding of him, uh, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my Son, whom I love. "'With you I am well pleased.'" At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, We do have some overheads. Uh, they're not very clever or bright, but some Australians here, we have, some, we have a number of Australians here, some who are fairly new here. See if you can find them over coffee. And they can tell you whether what I'm saying about Australia is accurate. Because I'm going to say a couple of things about Australia in this, but it's really helping us understand this. This that we're looking at today is the beginning of the, the very earliest biography we have of Jesus. Of course, you know, a biography is an account of someone, someone's life written by someone else. This one is written by a man named Mark. And Mark spent a lot of time travelling with another man, a man named Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' very closest friends. What we have in Mark is, I think, the memories of Peter written down for us. What did one of Jesus' very best friends think it was very important for us to know about Jesus? Well, let's have a look at how Mark begins his biography. Uh, Hopefully, you've got some slide, uh, some um, uh, a a note page on your sheets. And actually, um, Sian, can we go to the third page, the third slide there? Let's have a look at how Mark begins his biography. He says it's good news. He says it's the gospel, doesn't he? Do you see that there? The the word gospel is a word you tend only to hear in churches nowadays. But it really just Im- means important message, good news, an important message. Mark Mark has news to tell us. Now, by the time that Mark had written this down, that news had already been spread throughout the Roman world by people of many languages and many cultures. And in this room, we have people of many languages and many cultures, don't we? People like us had already begun to hear this message that Mark calls good news an important proclamation. And the important message is a message about Jesus. It's not a message about being good. Now, of course, it's good to be good. But this is not primarily a message about being good. And and actually, we Christians, we're not just a club who are seeking new members. We're not on a membership drive. No, that's not thats not what we're all about. No, this, this that we Christians believe is a message all about Jesus. Now, friends, notice that also means that it is not about you. Christianity is not all about you and it's not all about me. Christianity is all about Jesus. Now, notice there that Mark calls him Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ is not a surname. Some people, I think sometimes people get con, confused about that, as if there was Joseph Christ and Mary Christ and they had a son. His name was Jesus. No, it's not that. The word Christ is a title. It means king. Jesus the King. Something Peter realises about Jesus later in this account is a turning point of this account of Jesus' life. Jesus asks his closest followers, including Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter. Peter is the one who says, you are the Christ. You are the King. Now, I wonder what made Peter, think that. I wonder what that means. I wonder why that is so important that Mark puts it right in the middle of his message about Jesus. Now, perhaps after today, you'll keep reading this account and find out. And in fact, that's what we're going to be doing in the Dublin Bible talks, just fitting in another plug for what I do. But Mark Mark says something else about Jesus here. Did you notice it? Mark calls him the son of God. Mark keeps telling the story of Jesus right up to the point where Jesus is killed by being nailed to a wooden cross. And a soldier is there overseeing this execution of this man. And this soldier who has killed many people, In this way. As he sees this man, Jesus, die, he says, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The same word is used in the very beginning here. There's something important about that phrase, that title given to Jesus, the Son of God. What does it mean? Is it true? Can I come to that same conclusion? Can you come to that same conclusion? Now one more thing. Now this is a long introduction, but we will keep moving. One more thing. Mark calls this. Did you notice the beginning of the gospel? This is just the beginning that he records, that he writes down the news. That need it's the beginning because it's news that ke- it needs to keep being spread. It doesn't stop with him writing it down. He's writing it down so that the beginning can continue to be told. What I'm doing today is what began with Mark's message. And it's still just as important as when Mark wrote it down. Well, how does it begin? How does the beginning begin? Well, it begins with quite a bit about the desert, with a bit about the wilderness. And there's four points I want to make There's danger in the desert, there's water in the desert, there's a substitute in the desert and there's turning in the desert and that's where we're going as we go through this. So first of all, danger in the desert. Have a look at verse 3 and verse 4 and verses 12 and 13. You notice the repetition of the word either desert or wilderness depending on the translation you have. Now, I wonder how many times you have been in the desert. A lot of people from this part of the world find it very difficult to conceive what a desert is. Um, It's very difficult to to conceive what it is to go for a couple of days without any rain. And when it starts to go for a couple of days without any rain in this country, people start to get worried. Um, This is not what I was going to say, uh, but uh, actually that, that is the desert in Australia. That's, That's one of my photos. Um, from when I used to go out there quite regularly with a mate. We used to get in the car and we'd drive, we'd drive, we'd drive for a number of days. And then when we'd driven that far, we'd drive a couple more. And as you get into the centre of Australia, it gets to look more and more like this. Uh, my friends had a... Um, my, we had good friends who had some friends come and stay with us in Sydney... In Sydney, we do get rain. Uh, it gets a bit warm. But this friend, they came and it was uh, in January, I think, and in January in Sydney, around about four or five in the afternoon after a really hot day, there's this huge thunderstorm, a big southerly change, and it cools everything down. And this family who were with us, they were there, and this southerly change came and the, the heavens opened and it's tipping down rain and their son, seven years old, is standing out in front of our house just like this, getting absolutely drenched. I don't think I've ever seen anyone more wet. And we were looking at him doing this and being a little bit concerned for him, we sort of looked to his parents. And his parents said, oh, don't worry, this is he's just excited. It's the first time he's ever seen rain. Seven years old. And he's only ever seen rain once in his life. The desert. The desert can be a dangerous place. What's dangerous about the desert? Well, one of the times I went to the desert, I went to. If we go to the next slide, um, it doesn't look like a very fascinating photograph, because it just looks like a photograph of a tree, and it is a photograph of a tree. But it's called the dig tree. It's called the dig tree because um, actually, if we get the, uh, you, you'll see that sort of just up there. There's a little hole in the bark. And you might be able to just see a couple of scratchings in that. If we get the next part of that slide, um, someone took off the bark and put those markings in there. The person who put those markings in there was waiting for some explorers. They were trying to get across Australia. And they got to this dig tree and they said, OK, you guys wait here and we'll keep on going, just the three of us, and we'll try and get across Australia and back. Just wait until this date, and then you can go, because if, if, we, if we're not back by then, we're not coming back. They waited, they waited, they waited. It got to that date. They thought, well, let's wait a little bit more. And they waited, they waited, they waited. And then they, they're not coming back. But just in case they do come back, how about we dig a hole and we put some supplies in it and we'll cover it over so that the animals can't get at it, and we'll dig into this tree the word dig and tell them the coordinates, the, how many steps from this tree they should dig if they want it. They left in that morning. That afternoon, these two explorers and their friend, Burke and Wills and their friend, arrived back at the tree. They'd missed them by a matter of hours and they died. The desert is not an easy place to live. It's a dangerous place to live. It's a particularly important idea in the Old Testament. Because God's people in the Old Testament were in the desert, they were in the wilderness for many years, and that happened on two occasions. First, they were in the desert for 40 years because they had rebelled against God after he had rescued them from Egypt, where they'd been slaves. He'd rescued them, but they rebelled against him. Despite his goodness to to them, they rebelled against him. And so they spent 40 years in the desert under God's punishment because of their sin, and they deserved it. Years later, after God had given his people a land to live in then they'd come in and they'd been living there, but they rebelled and sinned against him again and again and again and they would not listen to him and so God sent them into exile out of the land that he had promised them, out of the land that had been full of good things, out of the land that had been like the coastlands, <laughs> filled with... Milk and honey and good things that they didn't really even need to work for because God provided for them in that land and yet they rebelled against God and he sent them into exile into another country where they were slaves again. The wilderness into the desert. In the Old Testament, the wilderness, the desert is an image of God's punishment for sin. Punishment for refusing to believe God, refusing to trust him, refusing to hear his word and take it seriously. It's like being in a land where there's no water, that is. It's being like in the desert where there's no food, where there's danger all around you all the time, danger of death. To be in the desert is to have God angry at you, But something amazing happened in the wilderness. In the Old Testament, we find that something happens that's quite extraordinary in the wilderness, and that is that God speaks to his people in the wilderness. Even in the middle of his great anger because of the awful rebellion of his people, he still spoke and he gave promises. God gave promises. And one of the promises that he gave his people that was that one day, one day, God would make it as if there was a stream running through the desert and that he would build a highway, a highway out of the desert, a highway that led out of the place of judgment. Now, when I was in the desert, every so often, uh, if you had a map, you could find your way to a thing we Australians called a billabong. Do we have a picture of a billabong there? There we go. That is in the middle of the desert. And in the middle of that, there's this beautiful, still, fresh water. And it is so good. It's a place of life. It's It's a place of relief. And what does Mark tell us at the beginning of his news about Jesus? Well, he starts to tell us about a man called John who came speaking about a way out of the desert of God's judgment. You'll see in verse 4 he says, so, and so. Because God's announcing that... Uh, John is announcing that God's about to turn up. John's announcing that... God's about to come down and make a highway out, so you'd better get ready. And so John started doing something to prepare people for God's appearance, and it's got something to do with water in the desert, a powerful symbol that God is coming to bring relief to those under judgment, to those who are dirty. There's a message that you can be made clean. So that you're ready for God to arrive, and people you'll see in verse five they came from all over the place. They came over all from all over the place for this symbolic washing. Friends, if this message of Mark is real, if this message that is being recorded here is not a con job, it's very important. That this man, John, was preparing the way promised by the prophets in the Old Testament, promised by God himself. That God himself was just about to arrive. And that the desert of judgment was about to be turned into rich, fertile, well-watered land. But John was just preparing the way for someone else. Do you see that in verses 7 and 8? John, as important as he is, he's not as important as the one who's coming after him. John was all about a symbol. John was all about a sign. A sign that someone coming after him is the real deal. He really is the real thing, the one that's coming after John, and you better be ready for him. And we find out that John, John was all about water a symbolic event. The one coming after him will immerse people. That's what the word baptise means. John immersed in water. The one who's coming after him is going to immerse in the very spirit of God himself. Jesus. That's who we find out in verse 9 is coming, isn't it? It's Jesus. Jesus. We've told, been told already by Mark that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and what does he do? Verse 9, he comes to be baptised by John. Now, that is a surprise, friends, because we know that John's baptism is about rebellious, sinful people getting washed. And Jesus, well, he hasn't rebelled. He hasn't sinned and yet he gets washed. Why? Well, he gets washed as a substitute. Like in football, (coughs) when one player can't go on or isn't doing the job or is injured, one of the Australians I met today is here playing rugby. If you get injured or if you're not doing the job, you get taken off. And a substitute is put on to do your job in your place. Jesus' baptism, he gets immersed as a substitute for us. Later, Jesus speaks about another baptism he's got to go through. He gets immersed again. He gets immersed in death. And he doesn't do that for us. For himself, he gets immersed in death for others. For you, for me, in our place, as a substitute. As Jesus is baptised, what happens? It's something extraordinary. Did you notice it in verse 10? It's something that didn't happen to anyone else when they were baptised. It didn't happen to anyone else when they were immersed in that water. heaven gets torn open and God's spirit comes down on him. Later on, later on in this story, later on in this account of Jesus' life, much later on, actually when, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he breathes his last breath and he dies, as he is immersed into death, a big curtain in the old temple was torn in two. And that tearing in two of the curtain of the temple, Mark uses exactly the same word as is being used here of the heavens being torn open. Heavens are torn open and the barrier between God and us is ripped open so that we can relate directly again. There was a prayer in the Old Testament from Isaiah where the person prays to God and says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And as Jesus is baptised, the heavens are torn open and their spirit comes down. As Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain is torn open and God can now make his dwelling among people just like you and me. What's happening, what's happening here at Jesus' baptism is that God has come down to put things right so that God will not be far away anymore but can be close even to you, even to me. For people whose biggest problem is that we are in the desert of God's judgment... God has done something so that you can be okay with him again. You can be made clean. And it has something to do with Jesus being immersed in death as a substitute for you and for me. Well, Jesus, having been baptised, having been immersed in that water, he goes out into the desert in verse 12. Do you see that there? He goes out into the wilderness, and while he is tempted like we are, like he is tempted over 40 days, like Israel was tempted for 40 years, where we fail, he succeeds. Where we sin, he does not. He obeys where we disobey. And when he comes out of his testing, still perfect, he starts teaching. Are you ready to hear the news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being taught? Hear it with me now, verse 15. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is a word that means stop going that way, turn around and go the opposite direction. Turn around. Jesus' coming is the turning point of all history, friends. The time has come, Jesus said, now, friends. Not sometime in the future. The time is now for you. The time has come today. While you're sitting here, while you are listening, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at ha- the kingdom of God is now. Jesus says, Jesus really is the King. He really has come, the one who can make you right with God. He has come. So repent and believe the good news. Friends, if you have not already done so, you do need to respond to this Jesus. And if you don't know how, talk to a friend who you know is a Christian after this service. Because they will tell you and they will be so happy to tell you. You will not see someone more happy than a Christian who has a friend come to them or even a stranger come to them and say, what must I do to be saved? Oh, the delight you will see in their face. Imagine if a colleague said that to you. Oh, what joy. Friends, Jesus came to people in a desert, a desert of disregarding God, acting as if he didn't matter at all, as if we could run our lives our own way without ever referring to him, a desert of being under God's judgment for that rebellion, being under the sentence of eternal death, but Jesus has come to people just like that, just like me, just like you, to die in our place for our forgiveness so we could be immersed in the Holy Spirit and not be destroyed by God's holiness. Let's pause for a minute and let your eyes go over what we've just read and what we've just heard and just reflect on your own personal response. So take 30 seconds to do that now. And if someone asks you, what did you do on the weekend? You get to tomorrow and you're going through the day, someone says, what did you do on the weekend? And among the other things that you've done, you said, I went to church on Sunday morning and they say, church, what did you do there? How are you going to respond? Now, earlier in our service, we prayed a prayer. And I'm just going to ask, Jan, is it going to be too awkward to go back up to the prayer that we prayed earlier, the, uh, um, the, the prayer for Lent about the... Early on, actually, let's get... Oh, yes, the one that says, uh, whose son Jesus Christ fasted 40 days. Can you see that there? I just thought we might finish our sermon bit with that. I'm being really awkward, and I should have told you that before. Thank you so much. Let's pray this again together. Almighty God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, fasted 40 days in the wilderness and was tempted as we are, yet without sin, give us grace to discipline ourselves in obedience to your Spirit. that so, as we know our weakness, may we also know your power to save. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.